Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews. You can find Hebrews. If you go to the back of your Bible, you find the book of Revelation and then turn left uh, just a few small books before you run into the larger book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're going to be spending time this morning. We will be returning to Deuteronomy next week and picking up that series. But today, since we are installing and, and ordaining officers, it's always good to spend a little bit of time thinking about the work of the local church and the ministry of the local church as it's led by those that lead, that lead as officers in the church. And so we're going to be looking at a few verses from Hebrews chapter 13 uh, as we try to understand better both the, the responsibility that leaders bear, but also the responsibility that we bear as we follow the leaders that God has given to us. So we'll be looking there at Hebrews 13. Speaking of sheep and shepherds, um, I had the privilege a uh, number of times in my life of traveling to uh, my family's homeland in Northern Ireland. Um, our family uh, has a, a, an old homestead there. We still have relatives that we visit and had the privilege actually of taking the youth group there years ago on missions trips. And one of the things you find out about uh, Ireland, Northern Ireland, Scotland, is that there are way more sheep than there are people. I think there's like five times as many sheep as there are people. And when you drive through uh, the little villages and towns of Northern Ireland, there's these beautiful old stone walls and wonderful flowing emerald green fields of grass dotting them are these these sheep. And uh, one thing we all know about sheep is that sheep are not the smartest animals in the world. They tend to uh, need to be led. But one of the things I discovered really quickly on my trips uh, to Northern Ireland is that when you're driving down these little one-lane roads and there's 150 sheep over here to the left, you can, you can scare them and they start panicking if you just honk your horn. And so I love to drive through and lay on my horn and watch and see what would happen. And, you know, they're just eating their grass and the horn honks and they go like this and they take off. And they just start running randomly all over the field. They run into walls, they trip over, they fall down, they roll around. And I know that was cruel and I probably will be convicted by some uh, sheep police officer in Northern Ireland. But I just thought it was a, a very interesting picture based upon the biblical pictures of sheep, how easily sheep are scattered, made afraid, and panic. And how poignant an image that is for us as we think about who we are. We're sheep. And even the smartest among us really are no different than the sheep that we see because we're not really in control of our lives. We don't have the ability to manage our futures or to fix the big problems in life. We need someone to help us. Just like those sheep need a shepherd, so do we, all of us. And our problem is that we lay our greatest needs and high expectations at the feet of godly but still sinful men. And then, even though our theology reminds us of this, we are surprised when they falter. The truth is, not only do the sheep need a shepherd, but even shepherds need a shepherd. 
And I want to talk about this from the context of Hebrews this morning. And what I want to say this morning is going to be in part said to those in this congregation that have been charged with leadership or are being charged today, but also in part to those who are called to follow them. And every one of us in our lives has some leadership responsibility and some um, following responsibility. So my prayer is that uh, the principles that we see in this passage will be helpful to all of us as we prepare to receive uh, these men into the leadership of the church. Uh, the book of Hebrews, we don't know who the author was. Some think it was Paul, some think it was Apollos. Uh, others' uh, ideas have been proposed. Uh, what we do know is it is essentially a sermon that is delivered to the church, largely a Jewish congregation, largely persecuted, and perhaps even facing some difficulty inside of itself. And these are the words of exhortation that the preacher, the writer of this book, gave to them. Chapter 13 is full of practical exhortations, but we're just going to look together this morning at those that pertain especially to this issue of leadership in the church. The book itself, this chapter, is addressed to egumenoi, which are to the leading men. It's addressed to them. And so that would be pastors, elders, deacons. So would you listen as I read from God's holy and inerrant word, beginning in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 13. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Then look down at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And then verse 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, help us to receive, understand, and apply this word that is eternally true and eternally correct. Pray that we would trust in it and that we would follow it, no matter what our role in life may be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So think about what a leader is. There's many definitions of leadership that could be had as getting people, some say, to do the right things at the right times in the right ways. That's a fine definition. I, I like what John Stott says. He um, was a pastor in England for many years, and he says the authority by which the Christian leader leads is not power, but love. Not force, but example. Not coercion, but reasoned persuasion. Leaders have power, 
The power is safe only in the hands of those who humble themselves to serve. So I want to talk about the role and responsibilities that pertain to shepherd leadership today in the church. And the first thing I want us to see from Hebrews is that leaders must be steadfast exemplars. Steadfast exemplars. Verse 7 says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is that leaders must speak and live out the word of God. Leaders in the church must speak and live out the word of God. Now he's thinking fundamentally here of those that had come before them in the past. He's speaking about remembering them, calling them to mind. So perhaps he's thinking uh, in this case of Peter or Paul or one of the other apostles or pastors that had led in the church or those that had been instrumental in leading the church in years prior to this. Um, And so it could be a number of people. That exhortation applies to us as well. We're called to remember our leaders. Remember those that came before us in the past. Call them to mind. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And I bet this morning if... We had the opportunity, every single one of you could write down on a piece of paper the name of a spiritual leader that was instrumental to you at some point in your life. It might have been 50 years ago when you were a child. It might have been more recently. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you know, you ought to stop and think about that person from time to time. Consider their life. For me, uh, and for some of you in this room that have been around this church for a long time, that person is my father-in-law, Rodney Stortz, my wife's father. He was my first boss in ministry well before I knew Katie. He was a deeply committed man. He loved the Bible. He loved his people. We can remember Katie tells stories about him pastoring a very large church, but sitting at the stoplight with Polaroid photographs of new people and having his girls hold up the picture with the name written on the back, and he had to remember their names so that in a church of 1,500 people, when he saw them the next week, he could call them by name. He went to the hospital almost every day He held the hands of people who were dying. He read scripture to them. He prayed for them. He led evangelism on Tuesday nights. Some of you were on those teams. He went and knocked on doors of strangers to tell them about the good news of Jesus. He got up every morning, 4.35 o'clock, to work on his sermons so he'd have time later to drive his girls to school. The list could go on and on of the things I remember about him. He died at 52 years of age. I think about him a lot. 
He shapes, although not perfectly because I don't measure up, but he shapes everything I do as a pastor of this church. Are you remembering your leaders? For some of you, it might have been your parents, your mom, your dad, your grandparents, a youth leader, a missionary that came and spoke to you. For the church to thrive and to continue to thrive, we cannot forget the faithfulness of those who've walked before us. And that goes for those who are charged with being leaders in the church as much as it does for those who sit in the pews. Remember your leaders. Think about them. What did they do? How did they live? How did they carry themselves? As you think about them, you'll remember mostly the good things. You may remember something that they didn't do well. None of them were perfect. But even if you remember something they didn't do well, then resolve that that's a lesson learned for you. Something you could do better. Their job, it says here, was to speak the word of God to you. Not their words, but to faithfully, as often as they were able, to speak the words of God to you. Do you know that in our worship services, the only perfect words you hear are the words of the Bible? That's why there's so much Bible in our service. Because it fixes the mistakes that all of us human beings make when we try to talk. The leader's job is to speak the word of God to you. And it says, to live a life, it says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Uh, To speak the word of God, but to live in such a way that they are bearing witness in the decisions they make, the actions they take, the things they do that will affect the people of God in a positive way toward the gospel. If that's the job of a leader to be a steadfast exemplar, what do we do in response to them? Uh, We should remember them. That's the first thing it says, remember them. Call them to mind regularly. That's, by the way, why every culture in the world makes statues and monuments. Any of you been to Washington, D.C.? And you can walk around in Washington, D.C., and maybe the most prominent monument in Washington, D.C. is the Lincoln Memorial. It sits at the end of the mall, faces the halls of Congress. To its left is the White House. It's as if Abraham Lincoln was positioned in this spot to watch over what we do as a nation. Not a perfect man, but engraved in the walls around this monument, Gettysburg Address, his inaugural address, all bearing witness as he sits high above them all, in a sense, to say, this is who we should be. And every culture has a monument or a statue like that. Even the ones that want to be torn down today, if nothing else, they tell us what we shouldn't do or be in some sense. We need to remember our leaders. The less we remember, I don't care whether you're a person of faith or not, the less you remember about what's gone before you, 
the harder this world will become. Secondly, we should consider the outcome of their way of life. That is, reflect on their strengths and weaknesses. Ask what happened in their families, in their churches, in their relationships. Think about it. And then imitate their faith. Do our best to do what they did well. Leaders of Trinity, elders, deacons, pastors, all of you who lead in some way or another, we should be thinking about those who've come before us. Elders especially, shepherd the flock. That will cost you something. Yes. Shepherd the flock. And do it because it's right, but do it because when you shepherd the flock well, you teach them to shepherd each other well. Deacons, serve the flock. That will cost you time, talent, treasure. Serve the flock. Serve the congregation. The better you serve them, the more they will learn to serve. The first thing then is that leaders in the church should be steadfast exemplars. The second thing is they should be accountable servants. Accountable servants. Verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Those words, obey and submit, are the two new cuss words in modern culture. The two words that cannot be said. And yet they appear repeatedly in Scripture. Obey and submit. The word obey here is a word that pertains more to influence than it does to duty. We're called to obey our leaders and submit to them. Why, though? It says, because they keep watch over your souls. And not just that. They keep watch over your souls as men who will have to give an account. Some of you have small children. And, you know, when you go on vacation with your small children or in the summertime when you go to the pool... And you have a two-year-old, you're at the beach or the pool. You cannot take your eyes off of them, can you? Because in a moment, they could be in the water. We had an experience like that with my son, Jonathan, when he was 18 months old. We were unloading the car, getting ready to go to the pool, and he managed to slip in uh, past the gate as a a uh, little 18-month-old kid, and what did he do? If you know my son, he had right for the water, and he jumped in, even though we hadn't put his floaties on him yet. We were unloading the car. Thankfully, my sister-in-law saw him, and she went, ran and dove in and saved his life when he was 18 months old. From that day forward, we learned we cannot take our eyes, especially off our son, <laughs> Because we're responsible. 
until he is. Your leaders aren't just bosses who make decisions. They're not like your secular boss. They are watching over your soul. That means they're trying to see beyond all the clutter in your life to see what's really going on and to try to speak into it or listen to you or let you cry or let you vent or yell or try to help you answer questions and if they can't answer them themselves to try to help you find the answers. They're watching over your soul. And not just because they've got a job description to do that for a few years. They're men who need to give an account. To who? To God. You're his sheep. You're not your elder's sheep. We're under shepherds. We work for Jesus. And in the end, the answer we have to give to Jesus is, did we labor amongst your sheep in such a way that they saw you clearly? It says here also that the goal is that they do this job with joy and not with groaning. Because the more they groan, uh, the harder it is for them and for you. It says, let, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Uh, your, sh- your shepherd leaders want to serve with joy. We want to help. We will make mistakes. We will fail you. And it's okay to bring that up when we do. Um, but we're not God, we're not Jesus, we're not perfect, we're not sinless. We're asked to do something that is very unpopular in this day and age, and that is to pay attention to your soul. Um, And so selfless shepherd leaders are those who are easy to follow, they should be, because you see that their compulsion and their leadership does not come from selfishness, or onerous legalism, or mere duty. It comes from a joyful calling to serve Jesus. Uh, Augustine was an early bishop of the church, and he has a quote that is very important. No one can be a good bishop, that is a shepherd leader, if he loves his title and not his task. Many people want a title without the work. So what do we do in response to them? We obey them. Now again, that word obey isn't so much the obedience we would owe like to a police officer when they say pull over. That's a very legitimate kind of biblical obedience. That's not the word here. The word here is more like the obedience we give to someone that inspires us. Maybe a political candidate or a a leader of some other kind. We, we give them obedience because we are inspired by what they do. Uh, that's the first thing. We must obey them. We must then submit to them. That is, yield 
to them? Do we yield to them because they're always right? No, because they're not always right. But we yield to them if we sense that they are pursuing the truth of God's word faithfully. Um, And that's what brings joy. When you feel like you're in it together. uh, Shepherding, leading, blessing one another. So a, a second task for shepherd leaders that they are accountable servants along with being steadfast exemplars. The third thing, and this is most foundational, begins in verse 8. They're called to be dependent Christ followers. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Uh, If if that verse had been written about human leaders... (laughs) Human leaders will falter and fail every single day. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Going on to verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Dependent Christ followers. What's the responsibility? Number one, they know that Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same as he's always been. Faithful, true, just, good, righteous, merciful. And the words that we have from him that we've had in our hands for 2,000 years are faithful, good, true, righteous, merciful, just. Faithful shepherd leaders know that. And so they look to the Word of God and the one who is the Word of God who never changes. Secondly, they know that peace with God comes only by Christ. What does it say? That our peace comes through the blood of the eternal covenant. The promise that God made from before the foundation of the world that he brought to pass with his people of the Old Testament, his people of the New Testament, it is an eternal covenant that will carry us through to the end in the day that we meet him face to face. Dependent Christ followers point people to that peace. And thirdly, they know that the only great shepherd of the sheep is Jesus and not them. He is, you can see it there, the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the founder, the champion, the author, the provider, the sustainer for all of us whether we're leaders or not. And if we ever confuse our earthly leaders, whether they be political or ecclesiastical, with the great shepherd of the sheep, we are in grave danger. So what do we do in response? We must trust in Jesus 
more than any leader. If your earthly leaders fail you, you know that Jesus will not. Trust Him. We must go to Jesus before we go to any leader. Because Jesus is the one who meets us in the midst of all of our life questions and turmoil. And we must honor Jesus above any leader. And one other thing. You may have noticed that the three key words in this outline, steadfast, accountable, and dependent, are an acronym that ends up with the word SAD. The calling to lead is heavy. I don't care what venue you're in, but especially if you will give an account to God, it is heavy. And you will, as a leader, weep, even as Jesus did over his people. You will carry burdens that are too great for you, for many, many more than just your family. Sometimes those burdens will be sad. Sometimes they'll be difficult. And that's because sin has come into the world. And that's part of the work, just like a soldier who goes into the service of his nation and walks onto a battlefield. It's not a happy thing. It's a heavy thing. But he does it because he's called. That's what a shepherd leader bears as a burden. And there's no way we can bear that burden unless we understand what verse 14 says. It says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. The only thing that sustains you through the sadness of this life, I don't care whether you're a leader or a person going through grave trial or difficulty or loss, or pain, that which sustains us, which is different than that which sustains the world, is that we have a city that is to come. Yeah. It was the, to- the topic of one of the greatest books ever written in the Western world by John Bunyan, The Pilgrim's Progress. And those pilgrims were on their way somewhere in that book. Do you remember where? The Celestial City. And there's a great conversation toward the end of this book, where they are asking these pilgrims what it will be like when they arrive in the celestial city. And this is how Bunyan describes it. The men then asked, what must we do in this celestial city? To whom it was answered, you must there receive the comfort of all your toil and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and tears and sufferings for the king, by the way. In that place, you must wear crowns of gold and enjoy the perpetual sight and vision of the Holy One, for there you shall see Him for who He is. There also you shall serve Him continually with praise, with shouting and thanksgiving, whom you desired to serve in the world, though with much difficulty because of the infirmity of your flesh. 
there. Your eyes shall be delighted with seeing, and your ears with hearing the pleasant voice of the Mighty One. There you shall enjoy your friends again that are gone thither before you. And there you shall with joy receive even everyone that follows into that holy place after you. The call to lead, the call to follow in this life is hard, but good. It is sad in some ways, but it is full of joy in others. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the purveyor of the celestial city that is yet to come. For those of us called to leadership in this church, the kind of people that are seeking that city that is to come. I'll leave you with a quote by a pastor named West Duell. He says this, It takes more than a busy church. It takes more than a friendly church. It takes more than an evangelical church to impact a community for Christ. It must be a church ablaze, led by leaders who are ablaze for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we press forward as a congregation in spite of our flaws and weaknesses, in spite of our sins and sorrows, that you would be with us to keep our eyes set on the celestial city and your throne. We pray, Father, that you would be with those who are called to lead in this congregation. Be with their families, be with their wives, be with their children. Give them what they need to lead in this way. And when they falter, give them what they need to press on trusting in you. And Lord, be with the people of this church as they're called to remember leaders, to obey leaders, to pray for leaders, to imitate leaders. Give them your grace to do that in such a way that they can make it a joy for them and for those who lead. We pray, God, that you'll be with us all. This is your church. These people are your people. And our only foundation is the foundation that we have in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.